Welcome to Get Your Head Back in the Game. This is a podcast about the amazing human spirit to overcome setbacks and stories to inspire you to get your head back in the game. My name is Melissa Ross. I am a mother, a wife, a sibling, a former professional cyclist, a cycling coach, and a serial entrepreneur. I am a traumatic brain injury warrior. I have lost everything and have fought my way back step by step. And I invite you to do the same. So get ready to join me for this wild ride. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Get Your Head Back in the Game. I am having the pleasure of speaking with Nadia Sullivan today. She is a chronic pain survivor and elective partial hand amputee. And Nadia has a very interesting story to tell and, um, and also a, an inspiring way of how she was able to overcome um, what she went through. So Nadia, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I first want to talk about, you know, before your crash, um, can you kind of talk about who you were and, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of things you were into before all this happened? Um, I was working as a professional cycling and triathlon coach. I was an elite cyclist and triathlete. Uh, I was a mom. Um, I'd previously had my own business that was also very into the uh, cycling and triathlon world. Um, I was really, really hoping to get my second uh, world's qualification because my previous one I got really, really sick at and did not get the uh, results that I had been training so hard for. Um, and I've, I've been an endurance athlete my whole life. Uh, I grew up as a competitive swimmer and then picked up a bike and decided that was really fun. Uh, growing up here in Colorado as well, constantly, you know, doing everything in the mountains, climbing 14ers, scrambling over boulders, you know, just anything outdoors. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then let's get into the crash and, um, what happened? Like what, what, what's the story? So I was one week out from the national championships uh, for triathlon, and I was hoping to get my second world classification. And I was test riding a bike in Boulder in the bike lane, and I saw this beautifully decorated limousine. Um, and if you've ever, you know, ridden on a bike lane and you worry about car doors, you check and you look through the windows to look for a driver. You check the side view mirrors to look for drivers. If this was a limousine. I could not see the, the side view mirror because it was so far forward. I could not see into the vehicle because it had tinted windows. But it was a quiet day and there was a guy in a mauve shirt standing next to it. it looked like he was taking a smoking break. So I thought, okay, it's safe to ride past. Uh, as I was approaching the driver's side door, the driver who had been on looking down at his phone opened up his door into me. Um, I was on a triathlon bike standing up pushing some big gears up a hill and he caught the ring that was on my ring finger of my right hand 
And as I tried to steer away, um, I actually did the math and I calculated about 900 pounds of force went into my hand. Um, the handlebars whipped back into my abdomen. Um, and then I absorbed all of that energy and I very gently tipped over and caught myself on the ground with my other hand and <laughs> changed my life. Um, that, that one instance of one person not paying attention. Right. Um, I had no visible external bruising or anything, but I was going to shock um, the driver and the person, uh, his assistant who had been the smoking one uh, did not offer help. The assistant actually started yelling at me that it was my fault. Um, I was in the middle of the road. Fortunately, it was very quiet and nobody else was there, but I was more worried about the bike since it wasn't mine. And I oh, wow. picked it up and limped across the street and started my way back gently. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't figure out, you know, you're assessing everything when you're going through shock and I couldn't figure out, okay, why does my hand hurt? Like, right. I understand why, you know, my abdomen hurts. Um, when you looked at the bars later, um, cause it was metal arrow bar pads. They had been folded in half when they hit oh my me. Gosh. Um, the next day when I finally went to urgent care, I looked like I'd been kicked by a horse. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> had a giant hematoma. So, um, yeah, it was not, not a great time. Um, they were mostly concerned that my ovaries had been exploded from the impact, oh my uh, which fortunately was not the case. And they just you know, palpated my hand and said, well, you know, if nothing's broken, you should be good. So right. I still went to nationals a week later. I had everything scheduled. That was the first time I was on a bike again. Um, I was barely able to run. I couldn't really pick up my leg um, at that kind of speed because the muscles had been damaged. Um, right. But the big thing was my hand in the water it felt like I was petting an electric eel every time I reached out with my arm at every stroke just to grab some water. Uh, and that was, that was really, really strange. Um, and then that began my very, very long journey through the medical system. Right. Um, like what, I mean, how long and what kind of symptoms were you dealing with when you were going through this whole medical process, trying to figure things out? Um, I'm still figuring things out eight years later. I literally just had another procedure uh, back in September that no one could find. Um, but initially, I just had this extreme pain in my hand. Um, anytime I tried to grab something, uh, trying to use handlebars on the bike, the biggest thing was having this extreme nerve pain where I would just literally see white and scream. Um, and that I started to live in fear of that because I couldn't quite figure out what was triggering it. Um, and I, I couldn't grasp things. And so I started hiding my hand because I'm like, well, I, I can't use it. I was afraid of signing the credit card thing at stores. Oh, wow. Because it was very painful. And I just started to live in this constant pain you know, I, before I even woke up, I would be setting my finger, um, because it would be pulled out of joint. Um, and I started going to all these different doctors, getting non-diagnoses, incorrect diagnoses, or the best one, well, you know, just deal with it. It's, it's probably in your head. You're probably making it worse right. because 
you know, as a lifelong endurance athlete who trains to endure, obviously I would be making up pain. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously you don't know how to endure pain. Apparently not. (laughs) Um, so then what, like, what was the straw that broke that made you figure out like you needed to do a partial amputee or amputation? So I actually had three surgeries leading up to that. Um, The initial surgery, I figured out I had a very rare condition called interosseous lumbrical adhesions. Um, And I do have a a post I wrote about that on my website because it is so rare. Um, And in fact, I found a terrible study that said, well, mostly it seems to occur to women in industrial settings And we can't diagnose it without actually cutting open the hand and looking and finding all these scar tissues um, that are basically locking up all the small muscles in your hand. Hmm. Um, And this this study said, well, we think, you know, because it's women and we can't diagnose it without surgery that um, since they're getting workers comp, we're not sure it's actually a thing. Right. So so I had to deal with that. I had multiple doctors uh, who were certainly down that road. But once I, I actually diagnosed it myself um, as being this rare condition, I started to look for doctors specifically that knew about it and had dealt with it. And my first surgeon called me a textbook case. He's like, yeah, that is exactly what you had. But the problem is he went in through my palm and you know went through a very small section and cleaned out only a very small section of the scar tissue, but I had so much more just on the other side of my hand. Mm. Um, And I was still getting the nerve pain. Um, And so I found another surgeon who would listen to me and we were were like two people talking about an old car that we're gonna repair. (laughs) It was kind of fascinating. So the the next surgery, uh, we figured out what was causing the nerve pain. And it was actually a tendon that was being pulled so tight um, that it was just snapping against this nerve. Um, so he actually cut that tendon, but the problem was that tendon helps control the middle finger. Um, so I started to get less and less control of my middle finger. Um, and I had been semi-joking, um, you know, with this particular surgeon that, Hey, you know, just cut it off. I'm done with it. And honestly, I had been living in so much pain that if it had been on my left hand, I would have done that myself because I, yeah, (laughs) I had visualized exactly how I was going to do it. Um, I knew all of the anatomy. I just, I'm not that skilled with my left hand. Well, I am now, but back then I wasn't. Um, In fact, I have a, well, half of a tattoo now, (laughs) my ring finger that uh, was part of a shark's jaw. So I could do like a little (laughs) shark mouth. Um, you know, feed it little goldfish crackers and stuff. And that was, <laughs> that was part of my way of trying to help myself break out of those really, really dark spirals. Right. Because I, I didn't have anyone who would listen to me right, or would believe me or any help at all. So yeah, when I, when I finally found the surgeon, um, he first cut that tendon And then I was still having pain. And so he said, well, let's try this experimental surgery. We'll we'll just cut this muscle loose um, from that finger. And then your other fingers can kind of take over and control it. Well, that seemed okay, but 
my brain would still trigger that muscle and then that muscle would react and tell me, okay, it's working. So I was chopping vegetables, holding a big kitchen knife and I was barefoot because I don't like wearing shoes in the house. <laughs> and unfortunately my brain said I had a good grip on that knife, but I didn't because the muscle wasn't controlling my middle finger. Fortunately, I do have good reflexes. <laughs> so I was okay, but it was really scary. Oh, wow. Um, and that was, that was the final straw where my surgeon said, okay, we're, we got to take this out. It's not safe. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> me, how, so how many years was that after the crash? That was almost four years. Oh, wow. I finally had amputation. Um, and I came out of anesthesia and I was happy because it was like, this torturer is gone. I'm finally free. Wow. Um, I, yeah, it had been really rough living in so much pain. I went back because I kept a pain journal and I said, oh my gosh, I can add three to four to every single thing in my pain journal. Um, after every surgery, I refused pain meds because I'd been in so much pain that the surgical pain in a way was relieving because it was healing. Like every day right. I got better, it changed. Um, and, and to this day, I get funny looks when uh, doctors are like, oh, you know, we'll give you medicine. I'm like, I don't need it. Right. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, how you have those good pains when you're exercising and um, that you just learn how to deal with in your brain. Yeah, I did, learned. Did you to, kind of associate it like that as as a good pain? No, I think I was just so deep into it that I'm like this. This changes. I can see the difference, and I could dissociate now a lot from that hand, which right. is terrible. Um, I actually can't do like the pain scale anymore. I don't. I, I actually have a real problem with pain now because I can recognize that okay, I'm having pain, but I don't know that it's bad or right. how severe it is or if it's in my head I don't trust it anymore right thanks medical industry <laughs> wow um yeah so um you kind of mentioned about like how nobody understood what you're going through and even on your website you talk about living in this matrix did you feel like you were yeah. still in the matrix after you have the amputation that, you know, maybe it was a little different or how, how did that work for you? No, that was, that was finally how I got free because I'd been, you know, <laughs> screaming into the void, so to speak, that this is the problem. This is what's wrong. Somebody take it away. And it's, I guess it's kind of like a tree, right? If the roots are bad, it might look good up top, but it's going to die eventually. Right. And that's what was going on in my hand. Fortunately or unfortunately, hand surgeons don't like to cut open your hand unless absolutely necessary because of the potential for scarring. Yeah. And I'm obviously a very, very good scar tissue producer, which was the whole problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a, a rough journey. Wow. I mean, I... I remember like, cause I saw you not long after the accident. And then I remember seeing you post things and in my head, I didn't quite associate, you know, this huge amount of pain with a hand injury. Like 
I feel like we downplay hand injuries, kind of like we do with head injuries. It's oh, we really like, do. Oh, yeah. it's it's no big deal. It's just your hand. <laughs> yeah, but if a uh, you know if you're in a horror movie and the person holding you captive gave you a hammer and said, "Here, you either have to hit your shin or your hand, and I'll set you free." Which one would you choose? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So after um you went through the elective surgery um when did you start getting really creative with building your own prosthetic devices and how did that um you know how how did you become inspired to kind of play around with that uh the exact quote was just deal with it which i got from multiple people in the uh, medical industry um, and this was actually pre-amputation. I started building my own splints to actually hold my middle finger out straight because that was more comfortable. Um, <laughs> it was a little interesting riding around on my bike with my middle finger sticking out, but that's what I had to do. <laughs> um, and I just kept, you know, focusing on, okay, how does the hand work? what are the deficits of my hand? What do I want to do that I can't do? What's out there on the market? And unfortunately for partial hand amputation, especially at my level, there's really nothing. Um, so I just started figuring things out and just playing around in my garage. Which, um, which devices were, I guess, did you find the most um, creative or breakthrough for you in terms of being able to do what you needed to do with your hand? Oh, that's a tough one <laughs> because I mean, when you think about it, the hands do so much. Uh, and I, I'm limited on some dexterity things. I'm limited on a lot of power things. Um, so probably the biggest one that I use is the hook um, that I developed that attaches to this brace that I wear on my hand. Um, it allows me to drive. It allows me to ride my bike. Um, also, I drive stick. I refuse to drive automatic. It sucks my soul and I hate it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, being able to, you know, confidently hold the steering wheel and then use the stick and not have any pain is is really huge. Um, I've also got my Lego finger that I use when I eat just to hold a spoon. Um, it seems silly. Kids love it, but it's very legit. Um, there are some products out there, some prosthetics that, you know, I could use that would replace my finger and it's basically a ratcheting hook in the shape of a finger. But the problem is it would be permanent in the middle of my hand. Oh, now, if you, got it. yeah, if you think about it, just like stick your middle finger in a weird position and try to use your hand around it. It doesn't make sense. Right. So with the Lego, I can actually remove it. And then I still have the Lego space, which is the gap where my finger was. Um, and it helps support everything. Yeah. Do you have, um, like in terms of, um, use of your hand, do you have a hard time, you know, with grip or opening cans or, you know, just normal everyday things you open a jar in your, you know, in your cabinet and Certain things, yes. Um, I don't have the power grip, which, you know, if you think of like driving a motorcycle, right? Turning the throttle, I, yep. I have a very weak power grip um, and I've measured that. My, my left side is 
off the charts and my right side is still very weak and it's it's not going to get better because there's there's just nothing there and my ring finger is also damaged and those two fingers are really where your strength comes in your grip um and the other thing too i, I mentioned uh the big knife chopping vegetables so that is an ulnar deviated grip where your hand is tilted towards your ulna and I literally do not have the muscle for that grip because it's been cut out of my hand. Okay. Um, so that's, if you think of like playing tennis or using a fishing pole, for instance, yep. I can't hold those things. Okay. I have to do it left-handed or not at all. Did you, you made a device for chopping with, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> so, uh, it was actually kind of just for fun. I was like, hey, what if I replace my middle finger with a knife? That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very cool. <laughs> What's the difference between me and Wolverine? I'm not a fictional character. <laughs> You're real. <laughs> I'm real. So yeah, I, I did it just for fun and I found out it was actually super useful. So I have several. I have my, my large kitchen one and then I have smaller tool sized ones that I use. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's just a knife that attaches to the back of my hand and I can flick it open and start chopping. Um, I usually do uh, pumpkin carving videos every year <laughs> using my <laughs> knives. <laughs> um, the other one I thought was interesting was uh, your swimming hand. Um, oh yeah. Can you talk about like how um, your swimming stroke was affected um, and how you had to accommodate for that? So when you swim, you know, and you push against the water, you hold all of your fingers together. I, again, literally can't do that because I'm missing one of the muscles that pulls your fingers together. Okay. So now my ring finger just flutters. And again, it's very painful. Um, my hand is weak and there's, there's always going to be damage in there. And growing up swimming, having really long arms and big hands, I can put a lot of force into my stroke. And I realized I just couldn't. So I started swimming with one arm and <laughs> any governing body of swimming sports, triathlon, USA swimming will not allow anything on the hands. Um, and I totally understand that, um, but it's not healthy for someone like me to swim with just one arm. I can do it. I'm strong and fast at it, but my left side's huge <laughs> now. Right. My right side is very small. So it wasn't good for keeping that balance. I could wear out my left side. Um, so I realized, well, you know, if I can hold my hand in a fist, then the pressure of the water won't be hitting my palm and maybe it'll be better. So I made a device that would hold my hand in a fist. And I was like, wow, this is so much better because I don't have the strength to hold a fist very long, but I can do this. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm limping because I have a fist on one side and a full hand on the other side. Right. So I expanded it to match the size of my left hand while still holding my right hand in a fist. Oh, wow. So now I can swim balanced and strong, just not legally in a race. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, and, um, and then you also have the climbing gauntlet. Oh yeah. So <laughs> While I was going to school for orthotics and prosthetics, um, I made some friends who went to the climbing gym. And even before my amputation, I'm like, well, I'm not a big rock climber. So I guess I'll just say goodbye to that and 
never do it again and not worry about it. And my friend convinced me to go and that I could do it because she'd worked with a lot of adaptive climbers before. And I was like, okay, I can use my wrist. How can I use my wrist? Again, this was after swimming when I'd realized if I can take my hand out of the equation, I can be successful. Um, so we tried a couple different things and I wound up developing that, that thick leather glove that holds my hand in a fist and protects my wrist and forearm. So I can actually just sort of hook onto the holes in a gym. Um, wow. I do have a commercially made climbing hook, but the problem was if I use that, I could get stuck because you have to push up in order to release. Oh. So with my wrist, I have that control. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, uh, let's talk about, um, you after all this was going on, how did you decide that you should go back to school and learn how to become a professional, um, who makes prosthetics? Um, I think I just had enough people looking at the devices I developed for myself. Um, and I realized, Hey, you know, I've got this background as a bike mechanic. I've always been kind of a tinkerer. Um, and maybe I have a talent at this. Let's, let's go to school and find out. Um, and I discovered that I really enjoyed the actual manufacturing process and building and, you know, developing these things for people that, you know, I can understand they may have been through a lot. Um, you know, some people are, are born limb deficient, other of others of us gain a limb deficiency and it can be really frustrating no matter what level it is. Um, so I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to help other people like myself. Right. And I discovered I have a skill at it. So I got lucky, I guess. Yeah. But you had to get like actually move and it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, so my son turned 18, so I moved out and went to college. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he was fine. He wasn't going to college anyway. He he's been very successful. <laughs> yeah. He's, He's doing great. Um, and then when you came back, how long did it take for you to, um, get your current job where you work for, is it TRS prosthetics? Yeah, it's TRS fill hour. Um, and which I had actually visited before I left for school, which is kind of the funny part. Um, but I had a couple interviews working for prosthetists uh, down here in Colorado. And I was like, all right, we're moving back, you know, especially during COVID, we had really talked about where do we want our lives to go? Where do we want to live, right. et cetera, et cetera. And we both decided, hey, you know, where we were was pretty good. We got job interviews. I did not get those two jobs, which I'm kind of happy about right. <laughs> um, because I got this job and it's, it's really fun um, because I just, I like, tinkering and I don't have to work directly with people or insurance companies. <laughs> I get to build really cool stuff that helps people around the world. Yeah. Wow. Do you, um, I mean, do you feel like it, it kind of helps you with the silver lining of the, the crash where now you're able to, um, do something that you can relate, like you can feel that where you understand what people are going through when, you know, when you were going through it, nobody 
really knew what you were dealing with and, and now you can, you can understand and be really successful at helping that person. I, I think so. Um, but I think more broadly, anytime that you undergo a major trauma like that, um, you just, you just get this huge amount of empathy and you start to see everyone in the world a lot differently. Right. Um, I, I don't know if it's a silver lining or, you know, just, yeah, I mean, it, it is good. I think we all need to expand our, our well of empathy. Yeah. Um, but hopefully not that way. Right. <laughs> hopefully we can expand it without having major traumas. Right. Yeah. I always, I always think about that too, where I'm like, you know, you just go, what if that didn't happen? And, um, and sometimes I, I, I wonder, you know, like when you have a really big trauma, if you're able to, um, kind of rebuild yourself, it come back, you know, and go, okay, I can piece myself back together um, very methodically or in a way that maybe I couldn't have before. Cause now I have to really think about it. I, I think mine is my particular situation was a great metaphor, uh, because I literally had to let go physically and metaphorically. I had to let go of my identity, who I thought I was. Yeah. And through that, I discovered who I really am you know, sure, I was an athlete, and I did these cool things as an athlete, but I'm not just an athlete, right? I'm so much more than that. I'm a friend. I'm someone with integrity. I'm someone with a cool sense of humor. Uh, you know, none of that has to do with physically who I am or who I was or what I've done. And no one can take away those things that I did in the past. But any of my successes are still my successes, right? So it's, yeah, I, I think it, in a way it was really good because you get to expand who you are and get a better understanding that, you know, the rest is just superficial. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is really well put. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, is there anything else you want to elaborate on with, you know, I mean, one thing I wonder about in your situation after you had a partial amputation, did you ever feel like you wanted to hide it or, or did you feel like you didn't because you were released from that pain? Um, so I mentioned, I, I would hide my hands, uh, before the amputation. And then after amputation, uh, my first foray out into the public, well, actually the second one, first one was going to a movie theater and I was like, okay, no big deal. No one's going to see my hand. And I go into the bathroom and I'm washing my hands and I go to squirt the soap out and the soap squirts right through the space in my hands. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, that's different. I guess I'll have to pay attention. <laughs> um, but the next foray publicly was a coaching conference um, and you know, a bunch of coaches from all over. And I was like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I really was not ready. Um, because <laughs> people want to shake hands. Right. I can't shake hands. So yeah. when someone offers the right hand, I've since learned how to shake with my left hand. And some people notice, some people don't. Um, but in this instance, one of my friends and fellow coaches was introducing me to her friend and fellow coach. And 
that particular person had been an elementary school teacher and clocked me using my left hand. And I was like, oh God, what is going on? I'm so ashamed. But I also had someone else who uh, noticed the Nemo tattoo I have on this arm for my lucky fin. Um, and she goes, oh, just keep swimming. I'm like, it's for my lucky fin. She could not see that I only had four fingers. Oh, wow. It was right in her face and she never saw it. Yeah, so yeah. I do refer to my hand as my invisible visible disability because it's not always visible, just like right. a cartoon character. Wow. And so we didn't really talk about Nemo because can you can you talk about what Nemo means to you? And so <laughs> I got that tattoo partly because, again, I, I grew up swimming. Swimming for me is like breathing. It's just add water. I'm instantly a swimmer. Um, and I kept going to practice and I would be in so much pain and tears and it was just soul crushing. And I would talk about my POS hand and I just, you know, keep going into that negative spiral. Um, and so the Nemo tattoo was partly to help reprogram my thinking to, okay, it's my lucky fin. Okay. What did Nemo do? You know, he couldn't do things the way other people did them. And I had to stop comparing myself to other people and my past self. Right. I'm not the same as I was before. So I have to think, okay, well, how can I do things now? Um, and now people see that tattoo and I tell them it's for my hand and they they just love it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, well, it's for me, but I'm glad you like it too. <laughs> yeah, I was um, like when I was going through my really darkest times, I remember you would post stuff like that. And for me dealing with my own trauma, like it was really meaningful. I just want you to know that like it helped That makes me, me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it can help someone else. Cause yeah, that, it's really lonely in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah very I'd, be like, I'd be like, okay. Cause I would be in this downward spiral of negativity and anger and and then I would, you know, see this Nadia post of finding Nemo and Lucky Finn and <laughs> hey, just climbed a 14er. <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, you know, like I still have all my fingers and I'm not in chronic pain. I'm just dealing with other, other things. And it was, it was really meaningful. So thank, thank you for. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that helped you. Sharing your. Um, one of the things that helped me that I learned from other amputees um, was that it's okay to be down. It's okay to have bad days, but just don't live there. Right. So that really helps. And, you know, when I'm having a bad day from pain or whatever, I can just be like, you know what, I'm going to feel this and I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to be happy tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and it seems like, you know, you found your own system and ways to um get through you know like you understand what your body is telling you and you're going through and so you know how to how to get through those times better yeah unfortunately it's because i had to become the expert since the doctors weren't experts yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of trial and error um keeping notes the the pain journal i kept originally 
really, really helped. You know, it's, yeah. it's just like being an athlete, right? You, you know what your goal is and then you do your research and you work backwards from where you want to be to where you are and fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to like bring up or that we didn't talk about? Um, oh, yeah, we didn't mention I'm part zombie too. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, the, the last surgery after amputation and that, and this is one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people who are getting amputations are like, oh, you know, it's my nightmare is going to be over after I heal from this. That is so not true. Um, besides having to adapt and having to use a lot more energy compared to what you did before in order to accomplish the same tasks. Um, a lot of times we have revision surgeries um, and I had to have one for a neuroma, which is basically a tumor um, of nerves. It's not cancerous. It's just nerves need an organized way to grow. And when they cut a nerve um, and they don't give it an organized way to grow, it grows this big angry bundle. Mm. Um, and we've got huge amounts of nerves in our hands. Um, if you ever look up a homunculus, you'll see it's, it's sort of a, a map of, you know, where the biggest nerves are in the body. And it's like giant hands, giant feet, little body, little arms, little legs. Um, so I had this huge angry nerve in the palm of my hand. Um, and I had that neuroma removed in 2020. Um, and fortunately I was by the Mayo Clinic because they did an experimental, I shouldn't say experimental, but less commonly known procedure called a road to nowhere, where they took the two cut nerves, because there's one in each side of the finger, um, and they grafted them into a cadaver nerve that was hollow. And it runs all the way through my palm into my wrist. And this gave the cut nerves a place to grow. Hmm. So they grew and eventually they stopped growing because they didn't plug into anything. If you think of like an electrical wire, this was, this cadaver nerve was the sheath. And then, you know, the copper wire was the nerves that grew into it. Huh. So my palm is still super sensitive, but it's not the crazy level it was before. Right. Um, and neuromas are actually very common for partial finger, partial hand amputees. They oh. do happen in lower limb amputees uh, as well. And they're super painful. Any nerve pains, just it's the worst I've ever experienced. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, when you're on this journey as an amputee, it doesn't end. Right. <laughs> it's, it's always ongoing. And so if you, if you see an amputee, you know, understand that they may still have a lot more going on than what you can just see. Oh, cool robot leg. Oh, cool robot hand. No, there's, there's way more to it. Right. <laughs> they yeah. may be part zombie too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, these stories are going to help people, you know, understand maybe somebody they know, or it maybe if they're going through it themselves, realize that they're, they're not alone. And, um, and I hope, I hope it helps other people deal with the trauma that they've gone through. Being and I know your story darkness. will. <laughs> yeah. Being a light in the darkness. Yeah. And the, the other thing I would say is we can't compare. Don't compare traumas. Trauma is trauma, period. There's no, well, mine was worse. No, no. Yeah. Trauma is trauma because you don't know what's on the other side of that. Right. 
Yep. That's good. Well, um, thank you, Nadia. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Really, really good. And, um, and I, again, I, I really thank you for being inspiring, even though you probably didn't, didn't realize it. And, uh, and I, I'm really excited that you're, you're helping people and you're, I know you, you are always good at tinkering with stuff and building things. So I know you, you probably do amazing at your job. (laughs) I also do sculpting now here at work. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah, well, thank you. And, um, and for everybody out there listening, I would just want to thank you for tuning in and I hope you'll join us on the next one.